0: Once again, I am reminded Shazam is an
1: acronym. In
0: honor of Shazam! Fury of the Gods, what's your most memorable God moment from cinema?
1: I am Matt Patches, and this is going to pain me a little bit, but I have to give Kevin Smith credit with Dogma for acknowledging that, yes, Alanis Morissette is God. I believe it.
0: (laughs) I mean, Dogma might be... My favorite Kevin Smith movie
1: now that I've aged. I'd uh, really have to go back and and make sure I believe that, but it was certainly on Comedy Central all the time. That's where I watched it. Yeah, now you it took can't years see it to actually See the poop poop monster.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a movie that's hard to find. Uh, hi, I'm David the Seven, and uh, maybe the best thing about Star Trek Five, what does God need with a starship? Love that, love that Godhead. Who doesn't love a does Star Trek Godhead? What God does ahead. God
1: need with a starship?
2: Gentlemen,
0: you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I
2: can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine.
0: It's, it's a Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, number 424.7. It's Pandemic 162 for the week of Wednesday, March 15th, the Ides of March. And that day in 1972, The Godfather premiered in New
1: York City. Wow, and then no one thought about it ever again.
0: Nope, certainly not in New York. Nobody ever thought
1: about The Godfather. Just another movie that comes and goes, The Godfather. Have you watched The Godfather in recent years?
0: Uh, it's probably been a good three or four years since I've done an actual Godfather,
1: but that was... It's okay. I think it's a little maybe overrated, because, I mean, at the time, I understand. I mean, I... being this big, sweeping crime drama, but now I feel like television has maybe outdone
0: oh, I The Godfather, that's, that's that it
1: possible. feels, because it's such a saga, that... It feels more like television than I would have expected revisiting it. I mean it has it's cinematic in its flourishes. Coppola's no joke, but I think the storytelling feels like it could be prestige T V and that's not a knock. Like
0: Oh no. A lot of good television. But I mean I imagine people point, I'd rather been...
1: spend more time with the characters. And...
0: I imagine people have been revisiting it because Take the Cannoli came out, you know, like recently, so we have that that what it was called, right? The story of the making of the godfather
1: oh is that a, a book i don't know it really...
0: was a book but then it became they, uh, did, believe, that a paramount, TV series. they did
1: that paramount plus show with Miles yeah Taylor. yeah oh, making the godfather right that's yeah.
0: that's the one i was trying to reference um uh, but yeah i don't know the godfather served its purpose for me because it was like a movie i could watch with my dad that hinted that maybe movies had like deeper texts in them uh and you know probably my introduction to what i understood the mafia was at the time anyway not important what is important i'm here katie's taking some time off uh resting up after covering uh the oscars in california for vanity fair you might hear from her this episode we're hoping for it (laughs) uh and call uh, us katie
1: don't leave us
0: (laughs) exactly and uh, Patches and I are here to talk to you about some post-Oscar scuff and a uh, new *Scream* movie. But first, I have some emails. One of which definitely existed last week, uh, but I was not around to give you guys access to the email. The other one is new, based on a request from you guys. Let's kick it off. This first one comes from uh, a gentleman who signs his name or his email just "R." Uh, hi, Katie, David, David, and Patches. I last reviewed back in 2014 or so when I first started listening as I was writing reviews and essays outside my day job, although I think I had too much shame to make you shout out my blog or Twitter or anything. Now in 2023, I watch fewer movies and write only occasionally, but I've continued to listen to my favorite hosts regardless. Uh, adding to the fighting in the war room review tradition of having one of the Davids read anything out loud, like a cross between the announcement section of your local paper and reading something into the legislative record. I want to plug my latest project that my son Arlo was born last week and it's positively amazing. It's probably just the big emotions and the three hours of sleep driving such a sacred email, but I really appreciate the four of you putting out such a great podcast so often with only the meager sponsorship by Pluto TV keeping you afloat. (laughs) Keep up the great work, and thank you for sharing so much of yourselves. That's from uh, Arlo.
1: Arlo is a more popular name than ever, and I wonder why. The only Arlo that immediately comes to mind is Good Dinosaur. Mm -hmm. But that movie has no legacy. That's not why Arlo's more popular. No one saw the Good Dinosaur. What's wrong with us for thinking that?
0: I mean, I, I I don't know. That's just where, where I come does across come the name from? in media literacy. What do you think
1: the etymology of Arlo is? If you had to guess, uh, where where do you think that name comes from?
0: Oh, okay. I guess I'm going to yeah. vamp while you look this up because
1: I already have it. No, you don't have to vamp.
0: Oh, oh, where does Arlo come from? Yes, I don't know. Where is it's... Arlo?
1: Where do you think that comes from?
0: Uh, I'm going to say uh, like a the Medi- Mediterranean era early on in the birth of okay. language it seems like arlo is close to a root or something like it's part of the root language for a romantic do you think language. it has do you
1: think it means anything do you think it like is a, is a uh st- a definition, st- like steadfast a okay or an adjective i could have thrown that out there uh so my, my very informal research here a little a little blurry is it it's either old english or Irish or maybe one site cites a uh, Spanish origin okay but everyone seems to agree that Arlo means between two hills or fortified Hill hmm. uh, so Arlo is a is a hill wait and now Arlo is of German origin means famous throughout the land interesting a lot of conflicting definitions of Arlo but it seems to have all all the all, all the definitions are leaning toward the land so this This child is of the land. Child is of the uh, land. So is the good dinosaur on some level. It all comes back to movies (laughs) on this podcast. We never talk about things that are not movie related. (laughs)
0: That's right. Only movie related things. Uh, This second email comes from Tammy, who says, uh, my review was the half review from good 704155 (laughs) on Apple iTunes. I'm so sorry
1: to this person.
0: (laughs) So I thought I would send the rest of our review here as Katie and Patches directed. Uh, Love the numbering. I've listened to Fitware for years and have become very fond of all the hosts and their dynamic together. Katie asked in the last episode if anyone cares about the numbering system, and I'm here to say I'm at least one listener who does. I feel like especially keeping the pandemic numbers makes me feel like there are other people out there who know the pandemic isn't over yet. On a completely separate note, have any of the other hosts watched Bardo? I read David's review and i am curious what the other hosts think. Thanks for entertaining Pod week to week. Tammy, not sure how to change my name on the Apple app. (laughs) <laughs> Didn't
1: we t- did we not talk about Bardo on the podcast or did just we just scream about Bardo behind the scenes cuz you had seen Bardo but not the cut that David saw because David saw the one that had like eggs more penises. and yeah, penises yeah. yeah but you saw you saw censored Bardo I did right?
0: I saw a or broadcast ready Bardo um yeah no I enjoyed Bardo a lot for what it was even though that was very pretentious I feel like I saw Bardo in a theater. I saw Bardo in a theater uh, when it was election night here in Colorado. So it was a great reason to not be looking at my phone and driving myself mad with uh, returns that were obviously going (coughs) to change. So I really liked the idea behind Bardo. I don't think it narratively uh, ever gets where it's going because it gets kind of bogged down on how cool it is. One of the most parts of the movie uh, is he's uh, wandering through a Mexican city and happens across like a pile of bodies that he climbs up and has a conversation with the general about what it's like to be a real Mexican and I I think that comes across uh, very much up its own ass after the movie has already referenced itself and that it is a movie uh, several times but me being said or me being me uh, who is a uh, not a first-generation immigrant in the slightest sense. I actually uh, felt a lot of that conversation uh, was worthwhile, so I'm glad they kept it in, even though I think they only kept it in because it was so expensive uh, to shoot. But I think Bardo is an interesting thing to look at if you're a specific type of person. I was
1: going to say, will Bardo have a, a shelf life for edible-taking arty-farty pants um, who just want to, like space out and look at some crazy stuff that cost a lot of money to make.
0: I mean, maybe, but I think that the movie kind of doesn't... It starts off going really hard, uh, which is, uh, I think, also something that David said to tease the movie, and maybe this is a way to get you to throw on the Netflix and see if Bardo is for you. Oh, uh, yeah, but it starts with that baby being right born there. that wants to be uh, put back in the wound because it realizes the world is too fucked up. And uh, the rest of the movie is that clear with what it is doing uh, all the way through. At least it keeps a consistent uh, non-clarity, I feel, throughout the the entire thing. Uh, it's really funny. I was uh, I looked at back at my Bardo notes uh, when I was trying to think about if it was going to make my top 10 films of the year. It didn't. Uh, but it like it starts off where I'm obviously trying to dissect what's actually happening. He's like, all right, he's got like, uh, you know, like nematodes on the subway, and then the subway's full of water, and then the subway's his house. Like what house question mark? And then, like halfway through the movie, I realized it, it wasn't that deep of a movie. Uh, the symbolism wasn't a mystery to be unfolded; it was something to sort of feel. Or, as the case is with a lot of people who I watched it with, uh, not feel and just watch a director go through a midlife crisis, uh, pretending like everybody <laughs> has access to his uh, means.
1: Here's another important question. Uh, word related, since we were just talking about Arlo etymology, do you know what bardo means? Do you know uh, what bardo is?
0: I mean, we've uh, discussed it on the uh, Lost Rewatch podcast as a way of discussing oh, I'm sure. those type of stories uh, where in between lives or after life, you sort of live a, uh, a metaphor life. <laughs> that is your bardo that you have to right. uh, complete before you move on.
1: Concept, right? This is between death and and maybe it's between death and rebirth. As I was saying, this you just took a sip of um, Taco Bell exclusive Mountain Dew flavor Baja Blast. That's correct. Um, well, f- number one, I'm now I'm just like falling apart here. Yeah. One, I was going to recommend Lincoln in the Bardo, the George Saunders book about Lincoln's time in the bardo. Mm. But now I have to ask you, you, do you know that Baja Blast is exclusive to Taco Bell? It does not exist outside of Taco Bell. It was created just to help Taco Bell survive and retain Pepsi, or for Pepsi to remain in Taco Bell. Taco Bell would have gone Coke after they split as companies, but... Talk, or that Pepsi invented a exclusive flavor for Taco Bell, so that Taco Bell continued to serve Pepsi. Are you aware of this? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I am, and it's good, and that's why I still go to Taco Bell. Well, that's that disgusting. and... That's disgusting. I spent, like, a week, like, not being able to poop, so I'm celebrating my being able to poop again. What's your uh, Taco
1: Bell order? I don't want to get way off track here, but...
0: <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. It's all the same three ingredients with hot sauce, so it's really more...
1: <laughs> It's a vehicle for fire sauce, uh, basically. Or hot sauce. What do you do? Fire you sauce. Hot sauce. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I like the flavor. But it does matter a little bit. Sauce. The crunch
1: wrap is snappy, and there's tacos. Like they're different.
0: Sure. If you textures. want something, if you want something that's snappy, uh, your two uh, options are the crunch wrap or the Mexican pizza, because the consistency of the meat means that more often than not, by the time you get back to wherever you're consuming your hard tacos uh the bottom is just falling out of the hard tacos. Uh, that's a it's a sad reality.
1: Uh, that is absolutely true and but I still hope that they have Taco Bell in the Bardo.
0: Um, I me me too. I'm I am floating there. I had quit for a little while was just going for sodas, but then there was this thing that happened. You were just going to Taco Bell for the soda. Yeah, you I would like not Baja get Blast. food there. I like Baja Blast. Yeah,
1: yes, that for a while I was not getting food core. there. Hardcore. That is yeah. hardcore.
0: I mean, but then in uh, Colorado, uh, a guy tried to uh, frame Taco Bell for putting rat poison in his tacos because he got in an argument with uh, some of the people about whether or not he could have like a large soda. Anyway, so I tried to help rehab uh, Colorado Taco Bell a little bit by uh, returning for occasionally. But I do like the soda. I do like Baja Blast. I understand you don't. But for those of us that do- I love regular
1: Mountain Dew. I and I get it almost every I mean almost every time I go to Taco Bell. I don't want to say every time, but I'm a dedicated OG Mountain Dew flavor drinker. But Baja Blast it's too sweet. I'm surprised that you as an adult man can sustain the sugar content of a Baja Blast. It's mm, intense. Would yeah. you like Code Red on the other end of the spectrum?
0: I, I'm not a huge Code Red fan, no. Interesting. Uh, and there's uh, another
1: flavor, isn't there?
0: LimeWire is orange. There's lots of flavors. Uh, oh. For a while, they had a black one. Uh, that was weird, uh, and I didn't really like that. Uh, but yeah, occasionally they'll partner, like they did with Taco Bell, with like a game or something. So it'd be like Ghost Recon, Black Mountain Dew.
1: <laughs> Gamer Fuel. Gamer Fuel. Um, I just want to say, this is a movie podcast, and I do think about the Taco Bell commercial, with it's not just Taco Bell it was when KFC Pizza Hut and Taco Bell were united promoting the Phantom Menace and the little Taco Bell chihuahua was up there on the hills of Naboo as the Taco as the Pizza Hut server was like holding a lightsaber i think about that commercial once a week so yeah. this is a movie podcast and we only talk about movies
0: that chihuahua also got to meet uh the american godzilla it's that that chihuahua got to do everything for it's like all 3 things. years he saw some things uh if you'd like to leave us a review you go to the apple podcast app leave a review for fighting in the war room if that is not an option for you because you don't live in the u.s and you would still like us to read it or just have other things that you want to tell us you can email us at podcast at gmail.com without further ado let's do the show
1: patches hollywood is that from something why do i know that what is uh, that
0: i feel like it's i would know it from <laughs> warner brothers cartoons that feels oh, right to me
1: that yeah that does that sounds like wacko yakko and dot should be prancing around for or like a nod to old wb cartoons
0: I had some uh, VHS tapes of like classic Looney Tunes, and uh, yeah. amongst amongst those was the one who was like Bugs goes to Hollywood or whatever. That yeah, was yeah. Just this is like a bell. It was just a short caricaturing actors that I had no idea who they were, and that was my like introduction to so many actors slash impressions of classic Hollywood actors uh, through that. So thank you, thank you, Looney Tunes. Uh, the Looney Tunes, by the way. Who are one of uh, Warner Brothers Studios, one of two studios spotlight during the ninety fifth Oscars? <laughs> what? Of year.
1: What was that? I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. We're going to talk about the Oscars a little bit since we're the two people on this podcast that didn't spend a lot of time talking about the Oscars. I feel like uh, during the Oscar season, uh, Katie will hopefully we'll get Katie to call in and and give us the download on her long night in the trenches of uh, the the Vanity Fair party. Really made a splash this year. I feel like I. I saw more about it, or maybe I'm just following the the media. Avoid the, the, the uh, Vanity it Fair people. Doesn't really matter to anybody besides media people. But um, yeah, the the stars were looking gorgeous on the on the carpet of the Vanity Fair party. But uh, before that was a whole three and a half hour Oscar ceremony uh, where I I was surprised that I didn't know what was going to happen. That's which is usually not the case. I think we go in pretty certain that. We know exactly who's going to win. Actually, before we get too far ahead of ourselves... Oh, you want to settle lot, the, the bet? Weeks and weeks ago, I think in like September 2022, we all made predictions for who... Who was going to be right? What was going to win? We got made our hopefully completely incorrect or maybe very correct predictions on on the Oscars. Who who came out on top? Well, we, we each
0: I'm, picked uh, the best picture, best director, best actor, best actress. This is pre nominations, everything. Okay. We didn't
1: know anything. This was pre Toronto, or we got Toronto and then I we're think like, we Let's... got
0: Toronto and then we guessed. Right, because um, I think
1: Toronto happened. We were like, "Eh, there's no clear front runner," and like there usually is. So let's be stupid. Right, and you could you could sort of tell
0: you could sort of tell what week it was based on some of Katie and I's guesses, I guess. But let's let's go through it. David picked Fableman's for Best Picture. Steven Spielberg for Best Director.
1: That would will be zero nominations for that film, or uh, zero wins. <laughs> zero
0: wins for say. that film. Uh, Yikes. Bridget Fraser for Best Actor. So he did get that correct. Uh, and Kate Blanchett for Best Actress, uh, Tar also going home. It felt ended. like it
1: was going that way for a long time.
0: It did. It did like that. Felt like a good uh, shot, especially in September. Uh, Katie picked Babylon for Best Picture. <laughs> Sarah Polly for Best Director. Uh,
1: uh, uh, c- kind of close on <laughs> category.
0: Colin Farrell for Best Actor and Kate Blanchett uh, for Best Actress. So that's 0 for four for Katie. Big nice. Goo said, Patches said the oh, yeah. best Here picture go. <laughs> was going to be Top Gun Maverick.
1: I really that, went there.
0: That the best director was going to be Steven Spielberg. That nice. the best actor was going to be Brendan Fraser. So congratulations hey. there. And that the best actress was going to be Michelle Yeoh. So congratulations. Wow, there, Patches. okay. So I got two. You got two out of the four. Which just means did Dave get two? And I picked for best picture. Everything, Everywhere, All at oh, Once. Damn it. For uh, Best Director, I said James Cameron. Urgh.
1: Not even nominated.
0: Nope. Uh, for Best Actor, I picked Austin Butler and failed myself again.
1: Felt close.
0: And then for Best Actress, I had Viola Davis, so I did Ooh. not win. Uh, so wait, I won? You won patches by getting both the actors. We're going to have to do this
1: segment again when Katie and David are back on the call Just to make like, sure that they know. <laughs> You need to that I won.
0: Dave, Dave, read the thing again.
1: You won. (laughs) Uh, Wow. I'd like to thank my wife. I would like to thank my children, and I'll take the rest of my thank yous off cam and the backstage cam.
0: You hadn't seen the whale yet at that point, correct?
1: You just no. We just felt it. It just felt like it was the undeniable Oscar guilt thing. Weirdly enough, I was uh, talking to a director. This weekend, before the Oscars, mm-hmm. I was having the real, like, inside Hollywood moment. And I'm a member of the Academy uh, who directed films in the in the early 90s, mostly. Um, and I was talking to him about what he was watching. And he loved Everything Everywhere all at once. That was his best picture pick. But he did not care for The Whale at all, but voted for Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. Because Brendan Fraser's performance really stuck out to him as, like... This is what Brendan Fraser does well. Um, my blind item here is that maybe this man has also directed Brendan Fraser in a movie at some point in his career. But um, but like that Brendan Fraser's he is, in this man's words, the empathy machine and like... Maybe the script isn't there, and maybe the the direction can be intense and torturous to a degree. But that Brendan Fraser, through it all, was was incredible to him, um, and he voted for him. And I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I I thought that this movie would sink for people, but that that Fraser himself would would really triumph in the end because it's so oscary in terms of the the duty of the role and and the the physical. Per- the physicality of it all. I was surprised that during the Oscars they showed the visual effects or the makeup stuff. Um, the the whale also won makeup right. and hair. No surprise there either, I think. But that a lot of it was digital. I had no idea that his face was a mostly a digital effect. I think the suit had some prosthetics, but that to allow him to be more emotional, to emote more, that his his enlarged face was actually... A digital, a makeup effect, which I found like an interesting blurring of visual effects and and makeup. But they mentioned it in the makeup category, so that's interesting. Um, don't totally know how that works. I'm sure there's some good writing out there about that, but uh, yeah, the totality of Brendan Fraser's performance, a clear front runner. But I did see a lot of Austin Butler chatter in the in the lead up that maybe it was time to give it to like a young movie star. Oh, young but no nope.
0: kid doing
1: that Oscar performance. Still doing that Oscar performance for like two <laughs> weeks after, but yeah, Brendan Fraser triumphed. Didn't he, I? I was happy for that. I mean, it was a very pleasant Oscars. What did you? It's funny. Yeah. I didn't. I don't really. Ca- well, I'm not here to yuck on anyone's yums, but um, I'm not a big Everything Everywhere All at Once fan. But I'm pretty happy from a like watching the Oscars standpoint. Happy that everyone is like. It was a very chill positive time compared to last year which felt really cynical and anti-movie like joking that no one sees movies and Mm -hmm. making fun of categories and and not getting everybody on stage even though we kind of got everybody's speeches but it wasn't like it was rushing through things it wasn't about the movies and here we had a ceremony where like people were talking about their mentors and they were Expanding on the cat, they gave us full montages of clips, and we were loving the movies. There was even a scene where, or like, there was a setup I, where people were like, mi- what are they doing in the background? Like they had someone on set pretending to...
0: Oh, it was editing. Yeah, I edit remember that. on the
1: Moviola, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember
0: like we're that at was. Disney
1: World or something in the animatronics uh, <laughs> Hall was, of Presidents.
0: I was making fun of the poor actress they had on the Moviola side because I'm like, modern editor's doing her work. She's switching through the windows. She's frame by framing. That's what editing looks like. The movieola woman obviously had been given, like, some instruction, like, you know, look into it. Look at the film. But at some point, she was, like, spooling out film in front of her to, like, look at the frame. And she turned it upside down and started looking at it again. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's... Someone could, have, yeah, someone could have yeah. Someone kind of spent a,
1: an She's extra. She's actually analyzing and minutes. cutting the Zapruder film in that in that <laughs> moment. Uh, that's why she was being extra careful.
0: But that being said, most people aren't like you and me. Most people haven't heard the you know uh, Citizen Kane digging a hole to fit the camera in the whole story. So I think like this is an incredibly good step in the direction I want the Academy Awards to go into. Where it's like, yeah, just give out all the awards and talk about movies because you're a show about movies that there, there is sort of a misbalance here where if we're not doing things like montage or like that weird year where they had the shadow puppet people, uh, then it does. There were some times last night where I'm like, this feels more like the Grammys. (laughs) Like we Mm. give out a few awards and then somebody does like a gigantic big stage show, uh, for an abbreviated version of a song, and then we like turn the volume down again and do some more uh, awards. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad feeling. I enjoyed all the song performances. Uh, I can't believe that Diane Ward's song actually exists and sounds like that. It, it was it was weird. <laughs> from
1: applause. Yeah, from Hit applause.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: wait, uh, is that the name of the song? I have no idea. Yeah, uh, no uh, it's
0: uh, it's uh, it's like give me some credit or some shit. Anyway, it was a weird weird song uh probably the first time i'd heard it and uh i think i was like I'd pretty much into the narrative of the evening of like you know what movies are gonna win and what what is the academy want to be viewed as for this year and it was a, you know roller coaster ride that started with things i was expecting and then jamie Lee curtis which i wasn't really expecting but was happy to you know, see uh, very difficult acting categories i think across the board uh and then there was about like halfway through the ceremony where um all quiet on the western front started racking up the technical horse, and i'm like oh no is this going to end with like a big yeah. towner <laughs> and uh they managed to turn itself around and be i think an interesting broadcast um i think i Got a little nervous and was stopped paying attention a little bit until we got around uh, to, I think, sound and song and then wrapping back up into the best actor, best picture stuff. But mostly, like, I can't, I have no major complaints uh, about this show. I would like them to do that. I wish they had listened to us and included, uh, or listened to Katie Rich specifically, and included Dust. Uh, and the Natu Natu uh, dancing but what what
1: are you going to do? <laughs> I started in the days before the Oscars I was like oh it'll be great when they do Natu Natu because they know it's going to win so they, they're they going to want to do something big and maybe they'll get like the audience, they'll get famous people I was kind of hoping Tom Cruise would actually show up and do the Natu Natu dance um, <laughs> I don't know why I thought any of that would happen, it's really complicated and um, it certainly was just another performance in the show, they got a bunch of stage dancers and and did a thing. Uh, Saw some minor protests that it was a very, like, Americanized staging of Natu Natu. Right. uh, Totally fair. I mean, they are in Hollywood, uh, not, (laughs) you know, in India. But um, I'm glad it won. I would have been so furious if Natu Natu had lost to any other song. And I love Lady Gaga. I thought her performance at the show was really... Cool. She she was so glamorous on the red carpet, and she seems to have removed all of her makeup, and to be as raw as possible on stage doing the, like I I I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe the unplugged version of. Uh, of 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 a oscars performance she was just in jeans just doing her rock shit i mean it was Uh, really smart
0: because you know what i didn't think was a rock song until that moment was lift me up like i or that that lift me up is the uh hold my hand
1: that's 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 the one. Yeah, rihanna song
0: uh yeah Uh. but like hold my hand really just my only interaction with it is at the end of maverick uh, so I, this performance went a long way towards me thinking about it as an actual uh, song. And uh, so good job Gaga there. If like, if we were voting on that performance, if for some reason Top Gun Maverick ended and then Lady Gaga in jeans and a black t-shirt is like, this song's really important to me. I think it, it had, would have had a better chance uh, than the way it was presented in the actual movie, but that doesn't matter. You don't listen to trial by content, do you Patches?
1: Uh no. That's fine. Well, it's, I mean not often.
0: Right. It's a it's a busy world. There's lots of podcasts. We were doing worst uh best song winner of uh, Oscar's history was our poll oh, for wow. this week. And uh what? I went with the Inconvenient Truth song from Melissa Esther and Shiny to Wake Up. <laughs>
1: uh, That's but the best or worst you said? What? The worst. Oh worst. Oh, the worst rough. best
0: picture song winner. Uh but the debate that I wasn't expecting to have that maybe you are aware or would have seen coming was uh, immediately both Neil Miller and myself were like, Phil Collins, You'll Be In My Heart, bad song. And uh, From that Tarzan? Was... Is that what that is? Okay. It is. It was from Tarzan. Uh, apparently,
1: that is a very popular soundtrack uh, on the internet uh, amongst people. Well, anything that Disney touches has nostalgic value for someone of some age. So Right.
0: I guess I just thought it would be like, it is the maybe not the least, but of the lesser of the like 90s Disney songs. Like fucking Beauty and the Beast and Part of Your World and stuff. Those are all up there. And then like You'll Be in My Heart. Anyway. That doesn't have to do with this week's Oscars. Patches <laughs> Sort of as a, a a way of uh wrapping up, is there yeah. anything that you would is there any winner that you would switch out?
1: Oh is there any winner I would switch out? Yeah. I mean, all of the everything everywhere all at once wins, I would say. <laughs> not to be too broad or mean. Actually, well, not. I, I won't even go that hard on everything everywhere all at once. You were talking about all quiet on the Western front. I don't think. Oh, we have talked about it on the podcast, of course. um The one thing about this Oscars, I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a good job. It was very funny. We were going to have to make slap jokes. They made some slap jokes. That. That was fun. I thought there were a lot of good goofs, some good pairings. Hugh Grant looked high as shit, um, <laughs> just totally zonked in a good way. Like I was having a lot of fun watching the show, um, but from a winner standpoint, if I looked down the list and if I really cared who won, I think I'd be pretty disappointed. I don't like an Oscars where every award goes to... One or two movies, right? It's not it's not enjoyable. Like it's fun when Sarah Polly wins for screenplay because it's like yeah, finally something else, someone else gets to talk. Like I don't need to see the Daniels eight times. Uh, the Daniels once is just fine for me. But um it, it's you know what can you do? Uh, I was surprised that everywhere everything all at once kind of swept. Uh, I didn't know if, like, the olds would come in and shake things up. The olds seem to have gotten all quiet on the Western Front in their corner, and they traded for everything everywhere, votes or something. But, yeah, I found that aspect of it boring, all quiet, kind of running. I mean, Top Gun, I think, snuck in for sound. But it's not a spectacular film to me. I mean, the cinematography category is such a bore... This year, and I knew that they would take that. The score that was a really—I mean—that was Babylon, man. Babylon for production line two, and and we didn't get that. We got all quiet. I just—I found that to be dreadful. And I was also starting to get really worried. I'm like, oh god, is this kind of? It was all down to film editing and kind of built up to that. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, at least everything everywhere snuck in there. We're not going full, full, full all quiet
0: here. on the Western Front.
1: That would have been awful. Um and that would have been a Netflix triumph, uh, too. Just, like, I know that they're playing, spending so much money and going so hard to win an Oscar one day, but, like, this was not, this would not be fun. <laughs> this would not be it. But, yeah, I mean, look, I'm happy that um, Key won f- for Best Supporting Actor after, like, winning every other award on The Sun. Like, I was waiting and, and excited for his speech, and I, I was excited to see Michelle Yeoh Win, I think probably deep down in my heart, Kate Blanchett is the performance of the year. But I, I was rude. I, I wanted to see that speech. Like I wanted Michelle Yao, and I wanted to. And I, I was even happier seeing clips of her mom celebrating in Malaysia right. this morning. Like that brings me joy. So I'm not down on those wins. I just am not here for the Daniels triumph. I'm not here for the best picture. I have other favorite movies of the year. Didn't make my top 10, but I know it means a lot to people. So I'd rather people be happy. And like, it's kind of like Garden State winning best picture for me. I'm like, well, uh, okay, well, uh, it makes, <laughs> it's your movie, but we didn't have to name it best picture. Um, But uh, you know, with this year, it's like, I like every movie a little bit. I don't know what should be best picture. and That's a confusing part of, of, this round where you go in excited because you don't know what's going to win. And, but maybe deep down you wanted like everything to win. So you're not very satisfied with the winners.
0: The
1: <laughs> um Just too many, too many awards for the same movie. I just don't, uh, that's a violation to me. What about I, you? Is there I something that you're that. like, that you wanted someone else to get in there on? There are technical I, things I, I, yeah.
0: that I think shouldn't have gotten to, uh, all Quiet on the Western Front, uh, but you sort of outlined that, I think, pretty well. And then also, I love the idea of awarding Jamie Lee Curtis for her body <laughs> and performance. But Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Jamie Lee Curtis and Everything Everywhere All at Once. I love Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, that seems like that should have been Angela Bassett's uh, to me. Um, I, I, or really, really any of the other four. Uh... Shutting out
1: Banshees and, like, Carrie Condon's right there, folks. Right. Like, no Banshees love. I'm, and that's the thing. Like, when you have a, a, a movie that's just getting all the hype, these other movies that are spectacular are going to get left behind. It just feels like the Oscars are meant to... They're not meant to do this, but they feel like they're meant to do this, which is talk about all the different movies that people should go and watch after the Oscars. But if one thing wins, then there's only it's like it feels like monoculture or something. And yeah, when Jamie Lee Curtis wins for playing a Saturday Night Live character, flopping around with her hot dog fingers, I'm just like, this is this is this this is in it.
0: Personally, though, as somebody who still wakes up uh, every morning to my alarm that is a soundtrack from Swiss Army Man. Uh, I'm happy that whatever comes next from the Daniels, uh, they're going to get to do whatever they want.
1: I'm excited for what they do next. Uh, Someone made a joke in our Slack this morning. It's like, which Marvel movie do you think the Daniels will direct? (laughs) And I'm like, I can say with great relief that they won't be making one. Like, they just would never fit into that machine. And I think they also signed a deal with Universal. It feels like they're going to be on the Jordan Peele track now. They can kind of do what they want. I don't know if we'll ever see them back at the Oscars. I would be surprised. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what they do next, because I really do love Swiss Army Man, and I'm not sure the Oscar will warp them. I don't think they become...
0: Right, I, I don't your, even
1: know what the comparison is to two weirdos like that winning an Oscar and then becoming like the Russo brothers or something. That's not even fair because those right. guys don't have it.
0: No, I'm um, just happy that the doors open for them and I don't have to worry about them. I don't think ever now, like uh, you know, if they keep if they keep doing what they're doing and uh, keep being original with it, some doors are going to open for them now. Here, so I'm here's I'm the very ultimate happy for Daniels.
1: cynics question. About this Oscars, which is, you know, huge win for not white people winning everything all the time. Like, there had, you know, Michelle Yao, first Asian actor to win this award. I'm pretty sure I'm pulling that out of my ass, but there may be one other. I don't know. Um, But, like, this is a huge movie for Asian people, Asian Americans. Will we see? Will it have an impact? Will will everything everywhere all at once prove something? Will it stick? I mean, yeah, Michelle Yao so. I mean, will probably I... be on a Star Trek show in the near future. That's what she'll also be able to do whatever she wants, I guess. But she'll definitely be on a Star Trek show. That's good. Well, happen. there's her um,
0: and Stephanie Su and Stephanie Su's going to go places. They're all on uh, American-born Chinese. Sure. Uh, Which Disney, aired so. a trailer
1: very strategically <laughs> yes. late in the night. After I think after Michelle Yeoh won her Oscar, they played the trailer where they're all back in it on Disney Plus. Very surprising.
0: Yeah. So I think um. I think it'll happen. Um, but then I also think we're on that trajectory. I think they've even talked about that. Like Crazy Rich Asians was the one that sort of sent us on that trajectory. We're just mm. like in, we're in it now. It's uh, you know accepted and out. Or maybe like even if we're talking about the academy and the the hoity-toity parts of Hollywood recognizing it, this might just still be, you know, we might have just learned our lesson with *Parasite*. I'm not used to the academy just learning their lesson, but maybe we did. Maybe we're gonna like. But I don't know if it's a. It's not a
1: lesson. This is what always confuses me about this conversation. It's not a lesson for the academy to learn. It is a lesson for Hollywood to learn. They have to make the movies sure. in order to vote for them. So how will they do that? I mean, like, who who will stand up and make more movies that could be like this or just get Asian-American actors in movies? Why is this hard? I don't really understand. I saw somebody tweeting in the wake of last night's ceremony. We're recording this on Tuesday. Monday? What the fuck? Monday. It's Monday. Um, that they had been doing a project where they kept photoshopping John Cho into different movie posters, like big blockbuster movie posters, to be like, what if a Nation American man could actually be in Mission Impossible or The Martian or like anything where all these like (laughs) vanilla gentlemen are in these movies? Um, and that's what it. That's it. Really got me thinking. I'm just like. Why? Why not? Like, we tried John Cho doing live-action anime, which is a little insulting. <laughs> um, like, he could do anything, but we don't put him in movies. We uh, All of these actors could do anything. Stephanie Zoo could do amazing things. Will she be allowed to? Will she be cast like she's Amy Adams in anything? I don't know. She should. Um, yeah. But that's the, that's the big question mark for me with Everything Everywhere All at Once. Will people see... Casting differently, will they th- think of these actors again out of the context of the Asian American experience, and just like put them in good movies? I hope so. Me too. And then if not, they can just pretend
0: what they learned is, you know, uh, hiring actors of a certain age.
2: Like more I think hot dog the fingers. Th- yeah, more hot dog fingers. Seems like
0: seems like something we could also come away with. The ninety fifth Oscars, that was them. Now we have a blessed what, couple of months before we ever got to think about it again. And then what? Barbie comes out and we got to start the start the race all over again, right?
2: <laughs> Hello. Hello, Patches and Dave. Uh, I am hoarse because I got like four hours of sleep and I've been at the Vanity Fair Oscar party. Hello, Fighting in the woman listeners. Also, you're listening to this now. Um, I said I would record a voice memo about the Oscars. I just recorded a little gold man. Not that like I prefer one podcast over the other, but I just did that. I'm trying to remember what I haven't talked about already um, because I was up all night talking about the Oscars, which is the thing that is fun to do. Um, I'm sure... Patches and Dave will brag about this, but in our um, Oscar predictions that we made in September, I got all of mine wrong. All of them. Um, which is kind of a real shame for someone who spends so much time thinking about all of this. Uh, I would like to say that as the Oscars got closer, I got better. I said Michelle Yeoh would win. I said Sarah Polly would win. I also said Austin Butler would win. So let's be clear. Um, I'm not doing great on that. Uh, Oscar predicting is a uh, not a science. Um, I thought it was a good show. I was excited that the all quiet on the Western front momentum, uh, kind of came and went Uh, fun fact. It won all the exact same Oscars that crouching tiger hidden dragon did. Um, let's see if I can do it off the top of my head. Uh, best original score, best production design, best cinematography, and best international feature. Um, so, that's the pantheon that it's in. It's funny that we just talked about Crouching Tiger a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, and then everything, everywhere, all at once won a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I can't really think of a better way it could have gone. It's weird that the Banshees have been to share in Tar, the Fablemans. Uh, I guess it's the only best picture. Oh, Triangle Sadness, but we didn't think that was going to win anything. Um, it's weird that the Fablemans and Tar and Banshees have no Oscars. Like That just is a... Just- strange way for the season to go. Um, But that's what happens when you have a sweep, like everything everywhere gets seven Oscars, all quiet gets 11. Um, There's only 20 categories for features. Um, So that's kind of as like far as you're going to go. What else do I want to talk about? I had a fun time at the party. Uh, I got to see the everything everywhere. People arrive with all their Oscars. I didn't get to hold one this year. I I could have, I kind of like just didn't shoot my shot. No, live with regret for that. Um, Megan Thee Stallion had like really big hair, like huge, beautiful hair that was like all over the place. I saw Jeff Bezos a lot. Like he was just like in the middle of the room hanging out like a normal person. Um, that's weird. Um, I was on our live stream from the carpet in the entrance. You can watch it. And Gigi Hadid was like cool, like really cool. Like I was so delighted, um, by how fun she was to talk to. um, I will miss the Oscars. I feel like a crazy person because as soon as this is over, I'm like, oh, but like that was fun. Let's do it again next year. Um, I'm very relieved there was no slap. I don't know if Patches and Dave are going to have some hot take where like they're saying it's boring without a slap. I think that's wrong. We need normal, regular-ass Oscars. Um, And that's what we got. I thought it was a good show. I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a good job. It was, like, long, but not too long. Um, They didn't rush people off too much. They had, like, little bits explaining how uh, filmmaking works, like the thing with Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan that I thought was really cool. Um, People looked great. The set was good. They didn't have anybody at the tables that made it easier to slap somebody. Um, And I'm really excited that I don't have to spend today, like, in crisis reporting mode and I can like, I don't know, like chill out and take a nap or something. Um, I'll be back next week uh, when I feel like I have a brain again and I go back home to my regular life. Um, I've been here living in something totally different. So anyway, uh, thanks for letting me sit this week out. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Uh, Happy Oscars 2023. We'll be back at it again before you know it.
0: Sydney Prescott is a name that you remember. Gail Weathers is a name you remember. Tara Carpenter, who gives a shit?
1: <laughs> Who's Tara Carpenter. Oh, <laughs> right. She's she's in this movie we yeah, watched, that's watched this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not fair. That's that's recency bias. I have yeah. I it took me time to remember Sydney's name, Gail Weather's name. I'll I'll learn Tara Carpenter one day. I don't remember it being said out loud in this movie. We're talking about Scream 6, by the way.
0: (laughs) We're talking about Scream 6. It most definitely is, this movie starts off in a very interesting way, I thought, uh, given that uh, the Scream franchise, uh, this being its sixth installment, is not a horror franchise that has gone uh, sideways or prequeling or anything like that. Uh, Every Scream movie is a sequel to the previous Scream movies. Maybe none more than Scream 6, which uh, follows our heroes, our four surviving heroes uh, from Scream... The core four. The core four. From Scream 5 as they go to college at a fake college uh, in New York City. Uh, in a fake New York City, I believe it's called
1: Blackmore University, and it's off the w- One Train, um, apparently. And they have frat parties there. Dave, can we take a detour here for one second and yeah. say, did you ever go to a frat party in so, New while while go- attending New York University? Not while attending New York
0: University, but the weekend I visited, my visiting ambassador or whatever was in a frat, and the wow. frat- the frat house was a floor at the very top of the 3rd North dorm, one of the towers, and that entire floor was populated just by members of the frat, and they had a common room for the floor that they sort of used as, like, a living room and, like, a kitchen, and uh, they did have, uh, like, a bucket of beer, uh, but that those beers had all been snuck in individually because 3rd North also has, like, a check-in system, so they're not right. rolling kegs in or anything. Um But yeah, so I happen to a NYU frat. I know they exist. They do not look like anything like this uh, movies. You own
1: like a house somehow in the middle of New York and have a traditional... Greek or, life system and throwing parties. Yeah. Oh I, no, Tara's gonna go all, upstairs with the frat boy. Of all the things in Scream Six to, that I found uh, that could be found ridiculous, having a frat party in New York City was the most number one. Did not believe it. Could not happen uh, in the way that it is depicted in this if, film.
0: Even if it was, why? You know, like if yeah, why not just have a house party? Yeah, or just just go somewhere like party. In, New York is very easy to party in. Underage, uh, a frat house. Usually, at least in my experience of it living out west, is a place that you could have a party because there aren't party places, you know, elsewhere. Um, right. But New York does not have that problem. Anyway, the girls are back. If you don't, uh, if you didn't watch Scream 5, you're going to be lost in this movie. Yeah, yeah you
1: kind of need to know what happened last time. It's important to, to know what happened to Sam Carpenter, the main character. Of this movie, who you have to know is the illegitimate daughter of Billy Loomis, the killer from the original Scream.
0: That's correct. Uh,
1: and you also have to know that her old her boyfriend in Scream Five was like inspired by this and tried to kill her. And so it's Ghostface? Jack Quaid
0: uh, played a character know. named Richie, uh, who was uh, yeah, he was the. the Boyfriend Sam boy. Carpenter. He ended up being yeah one of the Scream killers because he uh, felt he was a toxic fan. He felt that the Stab series had veered too far from actual events. So they were going to create a new Woodsboro series of killings to restart the franchise. This movie starts off a uh, film professor played by Samara Weaving uh, gets attacked by a ghost face. In an alley th- that leads to Hudson Street, which I don't remember there being, but let's pretend there is. Um, uh, that's where she gets killed, and immediately the killer unmasks himself to reveal it to be Tony Rivoli uh, from the uh, oh, spider
1: Man's. This is kind of a spoiler, right? Are we are we talking I full mean, spoilers here?
0: I, I, le- I want to at least go through the opening.
1: Right, because this, this is the first ten minutes we're talking about here. It's, screen movies are tough. I feel like... Let's just throw a flag and say we're going to talk about the screen movie and everything that happens in the screen movie is kind of a, a reveal or a goof or like it's you know playing its cards carefully. So yeah, yeah. Uh, if you well, haven't I wanna, seen the movie, come back.
0: I, I want to talk about the setup, which I which yes. I'm going to say is the opening, uh, and why it's important that we sort of know these girls because it turns out uh, this new uh, killer wearing the ghost face mask has a partner that he's living with, they're going to be ghost facing in two in a pair, which classic. is, the, yeah, it's the classic way to do it. And, uh, while he is, uh, on the phone, sort of discussing how he enjoyed killing this person, he is attacked by another ghost face. And it turns out that these two ghost faces had been hunted by a ghost face. But the reason I started off asking about if you knew the name Tara Carpenter is it is revealed on the phone Uh, that uh, the plan of these two ghost faces that we see murdered early on is to kill Sam and Tara and uh, finish Richie's quote-unquote movie pitch, uh, which would have been restarting the Stab franchise with this whole new thing. Uh, So that's what kicks off our story. There's a ghost face, he's killing ghost faces. That's how Scream 6 starts off. Uh, I thought... Oh boy, what I love is a scream movie that is willing to go all the way up its own ass. I was a little surprised that between that comes out of its ass that it spends most of the movie <laughs> being a pretty straightforward scream movie. That has I think so it makes some great use of New York as a setting in terms of cramped coordinates and uh, one okay use of uh, having to climb on a ladder between two higher-floored windows, which I think is a good sequence, even if I can't think of a place in New York where that would really happen necessarily like that. Um, And then I really liked the subway sequence that they've been using in the trailer, so I don't think it's a um, spoiler to say that there is a a stalking on the subway uh, that I think worked out really well. A great scene. Other than that... This movie, like a lot of Scream movies, gets really kind of bogged down in itself uh, by the end. Did the sort of middle moments of the movie work for you, Patches? Are you still invested in Sam and Tara Carpenter?
1: Uh, well, that's a challenging question because I'm not sure I was ever really yeah. invested in them. I'm not even sure I'm in, I was ever invested in, like, Sydney as a character. It's okay. not really what these movies are. Oh, it's uh, always, like, a game, right? It's Right, always, right, right. What is it, how is it going to be talking about... Horror, or more and more so in these movies, talking about just like franchising and and Hollywood series and uh, sequels and requels and Lego sequels and reboots. Um, I, I I mean, one of my favorite parts of this movie is um, Jasmine Savoy Brown as Mindy, uh, Chad's and what's her brother's Chad by Mason Gooding, played by Mason Gooding. Yes, um, but. Jasmine Savoy Brown is from Yellow Jackets and where she has to be like really serious.
0: Mm-hmm. And she
1: is so fucking funny in this movie doing <laughs> the Jamie Kennedy shtick of explaining how movies work. I thought her stuff was really funny. Uh, I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler. She does get stabbed at some point. Uh, I won't say how where it all goes, but like here's the thing also really funny like a lot of a meta ch- jokes about getting stabbed and how it's bad
0: <laughs> yeah all the characters we've mentioned get stabbed is there a character Everyone gets stabbed. Get stabbed in this movie
1: that's a great point like everyone can get stabbed now and that is not necessarily a death um i find that well <laughs> the scream movies work on a few levels for me one getting stabbed is scary and mm-hmm. the blades always look sharp, and the violence always uh, cuts deep, if you will. Uh, it, it, no. it terrifies me to see people just get stabbed with a knife, as opposed to, like, gory horror, horror movies where it's like, I'm just going to tear you up in a machine or use a chain. So I'm like, just stabbing someone with a knife is, is pretty well, viscerally terrifying to me. I when, think like, radio- You could just get stabbed on the fucking street.
0: I think radio silence in the past two movies, they've been the direct, the directing doer, uh, Matt yeah. Bettinelli Olfin and Tyler Gillette, Gillette, um, yeah. yeah, Gillette. Uh, these guys I think have really brought back the terror of actually being stabbed, uh, into the scream movies because not that four doesn't have a lot of horrible stabbings, but, um, these have like, last last movie had like some stabbing through the neck uh this one has some like very particular stabbing where it's like sometimes it's just you're amazed by how often this person's getting stabbed and sometimes twisting that's what happens in this movie a few people get Mm. stabbed and then they focus on the twisting of the knife and i'm like okay these guys have refocused on the stabbing so i'm 100 with you scream is about stabbing again
1: right uh and, and to your earlier question do I care about Sam and Tara reliving the terror of, of having to deal with Ghostface again? The, the, you know, the middle hour of this movie. Bef- We're not playing games in the setup anymore. We're not getting the big reveals of the end. Or am I just enjoying watching them run away or have to figure out how to deal with this? This movie tries to do, hey, I'm suffering from trauma and how am I living my life? carrying the weight of what happened in scream five and oh, it's happening again. Like why, what, what, how do we deal with this? Oh, we're sisters. We're together. Uh, the other added layer for the Sam character is that because she is related to Billy Loomis, she's kind of haunted by him. Also, we see, uh, Skeetorich in like reflections talking like he's fucking Willem Dafoe in Spider-Man. Um, Hey, you're my <laughs> daughter. You're don't you want to kill people? And he's kind of dressed like he is in the original movie, even though he is now an old frumpy man. Uh, no offense, Skeet Ulrich. We all get older and frumpier, but uh, you're not a teenager with a cool part anymore. Uh, even though that's how they dress you in this movie, it's a little strange, but very funny. Uh, and I enjoy that. It is <laughs> interesting to see how she is worried about becoming a serial killer, worried about her killer instinct. I don't know if the movie goes the distance there, but maybe this is what the Radio Silence Scream movies are also about on top of just meta commentary. Like, maybe it goes somewhere if they make another one. I don't know if they'll dig deeper. There's some resolution to this in the movie that will maybe... We should definitely have... Some sort of Halloween ends,
0: but with Scream is what you're saying? Yeah, I
1: guess. Yeah, I guess I am wondering. I, I do feel these movies are influenced by the David Gordy Green Halloweens a little bit. Um, and and we'll talk about the ending in a second, but uh, I'm not sure I care about the characters that much. Uh, I don't care that I hope Sam and Tara resolve their sister issues and Sam's overbearing because she doesn't want to let Tara out of her sight because she doesn't want her to get attacked, blah, blah, blah. I do think all the like they have a lot of chemistry. The two of them... Jasmine Guy Brown and uh, Mason Gooding, uh, Jack Champion, aka Spider from Avatar, he's in the yeah, mix. He's yes. Part of the friend group. Spider's like, all these in friends there. hanging out is pretty. Is pretty fun. They have good dynamics. They're like talking and joking in their apartment, even though they're in the middle of hell. Like that stuff is fun and watchable, and makes it very so much more. Watchable, like and the set pieces. Oh, we're gonna be get attacked in our apartment now. How do we escape a New York apartment when Ghostface is in there? I I think there's varying degrees of success in terms of of the horror value, but the characters go a long way. I'm not sure I care what happens to them, but they have dynamic, and and that's what I will also say. Extremely photogenic people. I I don't want to be like slobbering here, like a disgusting man. But they found some very beautiful, talented people to be in these movies. Um, Melissa Barrera, who plays Sam, is is photogenic also. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I and, mean... I, it matters? Like, it matters.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think about when I got attached to the original Scream group. And, like, Scream 1, Slasher, uh, making fun of Slashers, has an ending... Has, has I think, the only ending of the series that I could think about where they, uh, like, have a way to get away with the murders. Like, their plan is, right, yeah you know, like Billy and Stu are going to stab each other and then, like, they're going to be the only survivors and, like, they'll get away with it. Uh, everybody else in the Scream franchise seems ready to go down as Ghostface uh, to, to make a point. But I do think I'm on my way to the core four. Uh, I didn't like them necessarily calling out uh, that they were the core four. (laughs) But uh, I'm on my way there because I think the interpersonal relationships uh, really work, and at least they're being tracked this time. I think it took, like, four, uh, like, movies for Dewey to, you know, like, mention the fact that his sister is the one that dies in the garage door in the first movie. Like, the first movie has so many this is what the proto-teen relationship needs to be, that they sort of lose track of the characters relating to each other. This new group is based entirely, it seems like, on uh, the characters actually being related to each other. So I kind of like this weird doubling down on the idea that the Scream movies have always been about family, uh, which is something that I've heard, Mm. uh, which is not what I would have said after, say, Scream 3 when we went to Hollywood. But... No is also something you can't say knowing all the plots of so, the Six Screams.
1: How do you feel about this movie? I don't even think it's referential in like a wink, wink no. way, but it's bringing back Gail Weathers, but it's also bringing back Hayden Pentier's character Kirby. Kirby from Scream 4. This is not a joke. This is this is like she's really back in the story, but now she works for the FBI? And she's just in the movie? Why is she in the movie? Like, is this a joke that this screen movie is playing? Is there enough of a fan base where people want Kirby back? Why does this movie feel indebted to the past, like, installments that they would have to bring back legacy characters? Big quotes there, because who gives a shit about Kirby? Um, But is that, like, part of the meta joke of it? Or is this, are they still kind of... Tied down by the fact that it is part six, and there's a we have to huff old characters to get that like nostalgia value of the show. Of I the mean, series.
0: I I like having Kirby back because I did like Scream Four, and I like Scream Four having Oh, Scream Four is good. Um, and I liked Kirby, and I wish kind she probably should have been back in the previous one if uh, she actually is an FBI agent. Uh, You think she would have shown up for more Woodsboro murders after her Woodsboro murders. Uh, But I understand that didn't just work out for uh, reasons. I I think the biggest problem that the Scream franchise has right now is it didn't close off the previous franchise and pivot fully to the new franchise. This movie could have not had Gale Weathers, could have not had Kirby, and I would have been fine with it. Uh, But because it does have Gale Weathers, because it does have Kirby, um, it, you really feel that there is no Sydney Prescott, so the idea of who and they also goes, have a line
1: where she's like, "Oh, Sydney just couldn't make it this time." <laughs> you know?
0: She she took her family somewhere safe, which is like great, but that's what she should have done last time too. Anyway, <clears throat> we're dangerously close, I think, if uh, we continue down this road of uh, like only pulling characters from the previous franchise. Uh, because you can, not because they need to be there. Uh, We will make Ghostface the protagonist accidentally of one of these movies. At some point, he's just going to be killing people that I think should be dead. You know, like, that's, mm. that's, I, what kind of excited me about the beginning of this movie is I thought that's maybe where this movie was going, was... We were going to actually be following we were going to be hunting a ghost face who had like a reason to be killing, not a reason to be killing like I have revenge against I need revenge against these people or I'm a fucking maniac, not your general reasons, but almost like a i'm a I'm a vigilante ghost face, and maybe we mm. have a maybe we have I a little one percent exactly uh i or I mean like that wouldn't still wouldn't be great, but that would be a place that the scream franchise could go. Where it wouldn't have these two things that this movie has that I think are sort of, or I guess one thing that this movie has that is uh, been part of I think the Scream franchise since uh, Scream Three, which is a mess of a third fucking act. It well, just... yeah, and let's
1: let's talk about this because I, I also want to talk about like why Scream is like no other horror. Franchise, why Ghostface is not Freddy and is not Jason and can never be. And it's interesting how this series boxes itself in on some level and why it's hard to imagine just making endless amounts of Scream movies and how it will iterate. Um, but, yeah, I think we need to talk spoilers very briefly. Uh, about what, what's revealed in the end here and, like, if you were satisfied by that, so if you really haven't seen this movie and you and we were we whetted your appetite and you don't want to know what it's all about, turn back because we're gonna talk about who Ghostface is for a second. Because Dave, this movie is uh, the second Radio Silence Scream movie, and it is Scream Two. It mm-hmm. is Scream Two again. It is. Hey, remember how Scream One had Billy Loomis, and then Scream 2, his mom was the killer. Well, Scream 5 had Jack Quaid, and Scream 6 is his whole family is Ghostface! (laughs) Three Ghostfaces, and they're all related to each other. And one of them is Dermot Mulroney, who is playing a detective at the NYPD for most of the movie. Um, And then the other one is Sam's roommate, uh the actress's name is slipping me. I don't know. Oh, uh Liana Labretto is Quinn. I, yeah, I'm not familiar with her, but she is uh Roney's daughter and she's in on it. And Spider's bad he Spider is, is bad. He's not he's not Ethan Landry, he's just someone else who's actually part of the Bailey family. Uh, and he's bad. The three of them are doing it together. And the actually the best part of that reveal is how the running joke about that Mindy thinks uh, Spider, I'm just going to keep calling him Spider, uh, is the bad guy. And he's hes like, what the hell? Just because I'm like, you know, I'm socially awkward and I'm am the new guy. Yeah, you're, he is the bad guy. Hilarious. That was a really funny, really funny bit. Also, he does look like Jack Quaid. So I, sh- I felt a little embarrassed with myself that I didn't <laughs> see that coming.
0: That you weren't looking for actual facial things between yeah. four actors who are unrelated to each other.
1: I had this psychotic notion that this movie was going to end without revealing a ghost face. Or oh, that interesting. Maybe Sam would somehow be ghost face, I don't know. I thought this movie was going to go off the rails in a good way. I'm not saying I wasn't happy with the ending. I, you know, I walked out. I was like, good movie, I guess. Whereas I'm not. I wasn't mind blown. But this is just Scream 2 again, and I guess that's the point. What did, did you – how did you, you – you sounded down on the third act here, so what what did you make of the big reveal?
0: Oh, yeah. The reveal is nonsense. Uh, like, after their son died, uh, they he died uh, planning a series of real murders after collecting a series of evidence things from God knows where. He has all they built the props. A museum. He has all the props they built like a screed museum. Uh, and then our like family way of bonding is we're going to go we're going to go finish this by killing two girls. Uh like I don't like this reveal.
1: Yeah, what do you think they do with the museum after they kill the the two girls? Like would they keep it open? Would they charge admission to their creepy Goat's face museum? What, I mean like, they could do they do with all that stuff
0: they could take a hint from the movie's own poster and uh, launch stab the musical in there because it looks like a pretty nice theater uh like <laughs> I I what I missed from this one and the reason that I think the third act sort of like piles up to be dumb is it has no meta element the last one was super meta because it was trying to be a requel or whatever. So it had to focus back and going on it. It also had the, the, the plot that Richie was essentially like a, uh, fandom menace type of fan that had just like went over into murder. All those things are interesting. The, this movie sort of transitions scream six out of scream out of a meta franchise into just a slasher franchise. Mm. Uh, which I'm hoping they buck against uh, when we come to screen seven Uh, and which they will, if they are doing this sort of like shadow recreation of the original trilogy, like you're talking about, we're coming up on the Hollywood one. So I, maybe the stab franchise is going to be uh, relaunched, but yeah, it just, it isn't a glass onion movie. So it's not clever enough to just have the reveals and the reveals be clever enough. Um and it doesn't have any of the meta commentary. So a lot of the third act stuff just kind of falls flat for me. Um mm. because once it starts, it's inevitably going in the our sexy brunette uh leads are gonna stab the shit out of these out of this psycho family. And it happens. Which they I do it feels I feel great about.
1: It's quite uh, violent.
0: But yeah, it's it. Didn't need to be in this movie. It definitely didn't need to be in New York, which I was very disappointed about.
1: Uh, Wait, well, why didn't it have? I mean, it didn't. It didn't have to be anywhere. It didn't have to be in New York. But do you not think that the movie has some good New York? Even though not. Oh, it oh, look oh Like a day was I, shot in actual New York.
0: Right. I just I just meant the finale. Like, if you're gonna do Scream oh. in New York, like, why are they ha- not
1: at the Empire State Building or, hang- or so, something.
0: something like that? And it's because they need this museum and they need this space. That would obviously go like someone would be like, Who's renting out this fucking space?
1: They should have had a Madame Tussaud's Forty Second Street set piece where they're like they're doing a ghost face exhibit.
0: Something oh. like that. Or like a whole bunch of kids <laughs> break in and put ghost face masks on the wax figurines. This Ooh. Movie, <laughs> like something. Let New York We're Available pl- for punch ups. That's that's why that's why the subway scene is uh like probably my favorite sequence. That's yeah, great. Is because it lets New I like York like bit. Oh, bodega I like bit's bo-
1: good. Like, we run into a bodega, and I don't know if any bodega owners really own shotguns, Um, but I did enjoy, like, pushing over shelves and running around beer cases, and uh, I thought that was a good use of a bodega in this movie. Yeah. Um, and the again, morning... another violent moment where Ghostface just walks into a bodega and stabs a man. I'm like, I guess that could happen.
0: The, the things that make Ghostface scary... And the things that sort of like dull him occasionally is I've seen all six screen movies. Ghostface is going to be somebody, you know, because they're whodunits. They're very light whodunits on top of it. And he's usually only going to kill people that are part of whatever his plot is. If I never meet this particular family, if I never visit Woodsboro, Ghostface is never going to come for me except if you're in a bodega or maybe on the subway, which is why Scream Six gets so close to opening the franchise up, but ultimately I think kind of just makes it feel a little bit smaller.
1: Yeah, so that's that's my thing. Like the Scream movies will they have to have ghost faces who are connected to
2: mm-hmm. the characters,
1: right? Like they need to be people we know. They can't just be ghost Can't just be around or resurrected. The weird thought that I had during watching Scream 6 was, okay, we're doing Jason Takes Manhattan or something. That's a bit of a riff there. Yeah. Uh, but Ghostface. But Ghostface isn't Jason. Like, you can't... We're never going to get Jason X, but Scream. Ghostface is not going to be in the future on a spaceship just because it would be interesting to have a Scream movie. A Scream movie only exists tied to these characters or tied to the, like, overlapping plot you can't drop ghostface isn't something to drop he's not a monster he's he's always tied into the story so the stories become either more convoluted or kind of hacky to continue what started with sydney in the original one we're still going there as you said at the top of the segment they are always direct sequels but that makes it very rigid right like we're gonna run out of steam uh and we had to take a huge break between scream 4 well, Scream 3 and Scream 4, and then Scream 4 and Scream 5. Like, you felt like you could, you had to make these movies like they were fucking 21 and up uh, <laughs> installments or something. Uh, and, and that's where I'm, like, worried, are they going to do a Scream 7, like, right away? Are they going to try and keep going with Scream movies because they're so successful now? I can't imagine it's going to be diminishing returns unless you can really blow it up. And I don't know how you... I mean, mm. clever people will try, but um, yeah. This I think one, we've gr-
0: green light screen seven in. immediately. I the, the sooner we make that tension felt in the story world, I think, the sooner we could break it. The because story the, world. The thing that's going to break I, the, the monotony that you're sort of uh, talking about is like they have to do it and they can't find a way into it. So, like, I don't think Radio Silence wants to make a bad Scream movie. If they start making Scream no. 7 and they're like, this isn't interesting to us, they'll break it, and that's what I'm looking for. I need the next step into what it is. I like Scream 3 a lot, even though a lot of people don't like Scream 3, because Scream 3 is just like, what if we just, like, take it to, like, the extreme where the it's, world's like, The world's collapsing set. in on itself. Yeah, exactly. They're on the set of the thing, and, like, the Scream killer's killing people in the order of the script, and... People are playing people, and there's layers, like we need another layer on what the Scream we need franchise.
1: is the, the Scream Seven they should actually not continue the story of Sam and Tara again, but Scream Seven should be about the making of Scream Six, where all the people are playing themselves, and there's an actual ghost face killer on the loose on the set of the movie
0: I mean that sounds like Scream three, but yes, 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 that's but, what... well,
1: except it's still Sydney in Scream 3. I'm saying what if it like broke itself broke the reality and suddenly it's like the being John Malkovich of Scream movies. Let's Oh, I mean no, not not the being John Malkovich, the adaptation to being John Malkovich where you're on the set of uh Being John Malkovich for some reason.
0: That, anyway. that might be a little head. I okay, so like
1: <laughs> of course that's too heady. No one will accept that.
0: I want them to get meta, definitely. I think uh, the possibility of maybe having a ghost face who kills for a reason is something they're at least thinking about because we still have some Sam Carpenter internal drama about how she just likes killing.
1: She loves Um, killing.
0: Or just one thing, maybe, just to open up another avenue of the franchise, have one of the ghost faces survive. We have 10 ghost faces. Ten dead yeah. Ghostface killers.
1: That was the other thing I was gonna I I thought during the movie, I'm like, will they not reveal Ghostface? Did I just say this earlier in the same way? I yeah. don't know. I'm losing my own mind. But like I, I think what to wrap this up, it's a testament to what Radio Silence is continuing to do in the stream franchise that there seems like there's a lot of ways it could go. Right. That there's ways to break this. There's still action to be To be taken here. Um, And that's good for this franchise. Because even as I say out loud, like, is this diminishing returns? Is this losing steam? If it just becomes another slasher, like, Ghostface can't just be another slasher villain. It has to be ripping something open every time, to use a graphic term, (laughs) uh, illustrative term. But there's potential here. Scream 6 is a good movie, but I feel like there could be a great one coming if it really, like, dug in.
0: Yeah. Get us to that next big scream, which is why I said earlier on, I'm not against screams. I'm not against screams as a title. Lots of screams. Just screams. There are screams. two more there, than one. There are functionally two, maybe four leads to this franchise now. Screams would be the plural of they're not all screaming, they're screams. Gimme the screams. Ah, <laughs> And that's going to do it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. Uh, next week, we will gather whoever we can uh, to dive back into <laughs> something else. Is it finally going to be the quarter quail? Who knows? We'll we'll try to give you more oh, warning. Oh, shit. But... If it is,
1: I better watch. I have some movies to watch. I have homework yeah. for that.
0: <laughs> I definitely am started thinking about doing that homework. Uh, until then, Matt Patches, tell the people where they can find you online.
1: Yeah, I'm the Deputy Editor over at Polygon.com. We're doing a really fun bracket this week, if you're listening to it, between the days of, what fucking day is it, the 13th and the 17th, we're running our Who Would Win Week bracket. Dave, who did you vote for between Sans Undertale and R2-D2? Sans, under, Sans
0: Undertale all the way. Did fuck you R2-D2.
1: vote for, speaking of Mountain Dew, actually, Mountain Dew is in the bracket versus mm-hmm. GLaDOS from mm-hmm. the Portable games? Well, who'd you vote for? The, I've, I voted no, for Mountain
0: out. Dew. Mountain Dew over Gladys. <laughs> Mountain
1: Dew all the way! Uh, yeah, this is what you can expect from the Polygon March Madness. Uh, it is true madness. and uh, yeah. So go over to Polygon Twitter to to find that. Uh, also, we have a website, fightingintheworm.com where you can find old episodes of the show. I think we probably talked about Scream 5. Hell, we may have talked about Scream 4. That's how long we've been doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. So fightingintheworm.com
0: and I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can find the rest of our podcast brothers on Twitter at David Ehrlich and Katie Rich. They just use their full names like that. <coughs> you can leave us a review on the App Store, the podcast uh, I- Apple Podcasts app. That's where you leave it, not the App Store. We do not have an app. We have a podcast. Uh, you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. You can listen to me on the Trial by Content Show with Joanne Robinson and Neil Miller. Uh, this week we're discussing best movie with a number in the title uh, that is not a sequel, so you can't just be like, Top Gun 2, uh, even though that's not the title of the movie. Ooh,
1: what? what's in there?
0: 1408? 1408's in there. I'm going with uh, David Fincher's 7 to be as oh, on-brand sure, as possible. Sure. Uh, but 10 Things I Hate About You would probably be in there. There's like It's not a consistent genre, it's just a random grouping of film. You can listen to Katie on the Little Gold Men podcast, where I'm sure pretty soon... She will be forced to choose who's winning Oscars next year. And uh, you could follow all of us on Twitter at FITWR, where you can uh, tweet us your Oscar thoughts, your Scream 6 thoughts, or answer this week's lightning round question, which was, in honor of Shazam, Fury of the Gods, what's your most memorable God moment from cinema? And bonus points if it's also Star Trek V. That's it. We'll see you next week.